So as tonight, last night we had a wonderful children's musical here, some incredibly talented children. I was just so impressed. It's a wonderful Christmas season to just, just to celebrate. Um, a couple things about the tonight, bring canned goods, or if you're an Auburn fan, football fan, bring a horseshoe, because they've used all their horseshoes this year. They may need a couple more. Dean, congratulations. War Eagle. Uh, this, this prayer, God, real quick before I get to my text, all these people in the back are from our church, which is very encouraging, with one exception that we've been here for years, but uh, this is... These are our people. They're from, they're in China, India, Indonesia, North Africa. So encouraging. Um, so pray for that. Real quick, Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon was was four feet five inches tall. Uh, she was a brilliant young woman. She was in China for years and years, and she was pursued by a professor at Harvard University named Crawford Toy. She was lonely in the outback, rarely saw anybody that was from the West. And as they corresponded and they'd known each other for years, she realized that he had theologically drifted from the Scripture. And he proposed marriage, and he said, she said, I cannot be married to a man who doesn't honor the reality of Christ. Wow. So just, Lottie was, she was something else. Okay, hand me that, please. So we, uh, when I was 16 years of age, a long time ago, before I was a junior in high school, my dad uh, secured a job for me. My dad installed carpet for years and linoleum and broken tile and fixed bathrooms. I would call him a master craftsman. He was a hardworking man who took great uh, diligence in his work. He and his brother worked together for decades. And so he got me this job. I helped build a warehouse in my, outside of my small town in North Carolina. Of course, in North Carolina in the 1970s, it was a tobacco warehouse. Uh, either that or NASCAR, the only things that we really did at that time. And, and, and the man who gave me the job through my father also hired my buddy. So we were out there and we were working, doing odd jobs, helping build this warehouse, painting, whatever. And, and there was about 20 of us on the crew, and occasionally the boss would leave to get supplies. And my friend would say the proverbial statement, when the cat's away, the mice will what? They'll play. And he became a glacially slow worker. And he kept looking on the horizon for the car to come back. And he'd holler, cat's back. And he'd start working again. Well, I, I didn't join him in that because I knew that if my dad knew I had done that, he would jerk a knot in my backside. And he didn't say backside. Um, so I didn't do that. And then, then I, I, after I became a Christian and started reading the Bible, I came across this text. It says, bond servants should live in such a way, not in the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing of the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What, what we do is done unto the Lord, whether it's law, whether it's running a small business, whether it's raising children, whether, whether it's what we do it as unto the Lord. We don't do it as men pleasers. We, we do it as people who walk in the presence of the living God. And another layer in Hebrews chapter 12 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
talking about Hebrews 11, those who have died before us, maybe talking about those who are our contemporaries who've gone to heaven. I don't know about that, but definitely Hebrews 11. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I saw this photograph that reminded me of that. It's a woman who's running for president in Chile. You see everybody taking a picture of her with her iPhone as she voted. I I thought of that passage. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, unseen though in our case. So, So we live as unto the Lord. And then Hebrews also says this, chapter 4, verse 13. Everything will be laid bare and uncovered to the eye of him to whom we must give an account. We live before God. Now I'm going to put another wrinkle in it. There's a man named Jonathan Edwards who wrote 70 resolutions when he was 20 years old. <laughs> Some of them in your bulletin, your worship guide. 70. Here's number 22. Resolved to obtain as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, he says, and even violence I am capable of. To obtain as much happiness in the other world as I am capable of. Now we come to the text this morning, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. As we go through this book, listen, verse 9 and 10 says this. So whether we are at home in the body or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now Paul goes from this point of celebration to saying to be careful. He says in verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We're always bold. We're always filled with optimism. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now now listen to me. This is... Studies that are done about the people that remember what somebody says in a sermon or a lectureship are incredibly discouraging. Very, what you remember of what I say is not a high percentage. What I remember of what I say is not a high percentage. So I want you to hear this. Please hear. I, I, I enter this text with a little, with, with great hesitation. Because we live in a culture that is a performance culture. My worth is determined by the way my kids perform or by by the way my revenue comes in or by the graduate school I go to or by the residency I get or where I live. It's just performance, and that is from the pit of hell. You are incredibly valuable because you're made in the image of God, and Christ died for his people, period. This passage does not deal with eternal destiny. It deals with rewards. Hear me. 
You're saved by the grace of Christ because of the, your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for your sins. Period. You add nothing to your salvation. Period. Okay? You're saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Christ died for you. What you could not do for yourself, God did by sending his son in the flesh. Dying on the cross for your sin. Period. Okay? All right. This passage is not about salvation. It's about reward. So I want you to hear that. In John chapter 5, Jesus says this, verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He is passed from death to life. Period. He goes on and says this. But a great day of judgment is coming. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, so a sign of passing from death to life is you want to do good in the name of God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A sign of your salvation is you want to be pleasing to God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, we want to please Him. So salvation is about the reality of Christ. An attendant reality to my salvation is I want to be honoring unto the Lord. And so we, we come to this statement this morning, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive a reward over what we've done in light of the cross. Really, this is a restatement of a couple of passages in a letter Paul had written one year earlier called 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, verse 10 and following. According to the grace of, that God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I lay the foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there's only one foundation. His name is Jesus. One way to be saved, through Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day of judgment will bring it to light. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the, what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the flames. Now, what he's saying is this. There's one foundation. Then there's two types of builders given various degrees. Some people build on the foundation using wood, hay, and straw. It's consumed. Now, they're, they're, they're saved, but they haven't been as faithful as they should have been. They're going to escape, he says, as if through the flames. They will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Others 
will build on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones. They'll be faithful stewards of their time, their talent, their resources. And, 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 and on that day, they will be ones who will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you get it? What you do counts now and through eternity. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, he says, you know, I, he says, everybody competes in the games, but one guy gets the reward. One guy gets the winner's wreath. He says, therefore, I beat my body and I make it my slave. I'm not like someone who just punches the air. I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I won't be disqualified for the prize. I get there. I think I've skipped a couple things. Yeah. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. At least after I preach to others, I will be disqualified for the prize. He says this 10 years before he dies, we think. And Paul says, I, I, I don't look at what I've done yesterday or the day before that or the year before that thanks be to god for that he says no i i i'm going i'm going to go strong till i hit the tape because if i don't I, I will miss out on some of the rewards that will be mine in the judgment seat of christ that's what he's saying so i think this is an encouraging statement it, 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 in other words we don't we don't drift we don't retire we don't say well um See, really, if you sit back and say, well, I'm, 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 I guess I'm one of those guys that are going to escape through the flames. Huh? Maybe you're not even saved. Because a sign of regeneration is you want to be pleasing to God. It, it just destroys the casual drift. So I have some points in application. And the point is this. Is, number one, heaven is glorious, and therefore we should rejoice present day present day in the goodness of the Lord. We've been covering these verses. Chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Again, chapter 5, verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Verse 8. We are always of good courage and we would rather be with the Lord, away from the body, and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home in the body or away from it, we make it our aim to please Him. So we rejoice in the glorious prospect of heaven. It's a quote from the worship guy from John Calvin, where he just says, the reason we are so unintentional and lack of motivational people is that we don't realize we are brief lodgers here that we're going to heaven. Number two, we want to please him in light of the cross. Verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We want to be pleasing to him. God, make me someone who's pleasing to you. This is what I do every morning. I wake up. At least so far, that's what's happened every morning. One morning I won't, but I woke up this morning. And I lay in bed, and I do, I, I go over, either I, I, I pray through Psalm 23, thank you, Lord, that you're my shepherd, I shall not want today. You make me lie down in green pastures, you lead me beside the quiet waters, you restore my soul. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the refreshment of the sleep. I pray through Psalm 23, or I pray through Ephesians 6. 
Christian in his armor. Or I just do the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. So you get the picture. Then I get out of bed. I stretch. And then as I go through the next few minutes, I, I, I pray through a little thing I've been doing the last maybe four months now. Just a little acrostic. I say, God, make me a repenting man. Or make me a repenting man. Because when I repent, I'm, I, I'm saying no to those things that rob me of the joy that is mine by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let, let me repent. And then I say, and, and Lord, make me a man who, A, aggressively goes hard for you. Kind of like Edward said at age 20, you know. I, I want to I go hard. I want to go hard. Today I want to go hard. Let me pursue you. Let me be a man of your word. And then, then I say, Jay, may, may I rejoice in justification by the work of Jesus alone. May, may I be happy in Christ. And now I've got another little Jay I've attended. Help me realize I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. And then H, may, may I be a man who, is, who listens to, to the word. May, may I be correctable. I want to be a humble person as I walk in holiness. I, I, that's what I do every day. I say, Lord, let me be pleasing to you. That's my desire. I hope. Comes and goes, but I want to do that. The third thing here is that, is that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ as believers. Saved by faith, the work of the cross. God gives us eyes to see it, saved. But I will give an answer for the way I've lived my life. Do you ever just read the news and say, what a waste? I read this about the ivory trade. These beautiful animals called elephants. You know, recently in our own country in Commerce City, Colorado, the U.S. government for 25 years has been amassing contraband ivory in a huge warehouse. The pile has grown to over six tons, which means at least 2,000 elephants. So two weeks ago, the stash was collected by the U.S. Field and Wildlife Services and pulverized by a rock crusher as officials, conservationists from around the world, and celebrities gathered to watch the destruction. What a waste of beautiful animals. And I kept on reading, and it says in the year, uh, of course, ivory is called white gold in the year 2011. A survey estimates that 25,000 elephants in Africa were killed for their ivory. 25,000. I thought, what a waste. What a waste of creation. But then I think about also, I think about, about my, my mind went to, what a waste. I, from my background, I grew up Playing sports, I played sports with a guy that's a year older than me, played the league baseball with him. His daddy coached me. Uh, this, this guy was incredibly fast, great hand-eye coordination, became a running back. His first year of high school in the 3A conference, he made second team all-conference. He was fast, he was elusive, he was a great athlete. He was a straight-A student, never studied, had an attitude. Never worked. We ran track together. Both ran sprints. I never beat him. Ever. Ever. Fast. Never, he never trained. Smoked all the time. I jumped rope. Tried to do everything right. Ate broccoli. Never beat him. 
In my high school, there were two, maybe three guys in my whole tenure there that were recruited by Division I schools. Those are, those are big schools, the big schools. He was one of them, recruited by Division I schools. But they backed away his senior year because he had such an attitude. After graduated high school, he went to several colleges, kept failing out, got involved in heroin abuse. One day, picked up his brother in the midst, his younger brother in the midst of a heroin OD, and he slit his brother's throat. His brother was rushed to the yard, barely lived. We don't even know where he is today. What a waste. What a, what a waste. A, a life wasted. I think of 1 Corinthians 6. And 1 Corinthians 6 says this about being, being very careful and, and, and not wasting your life. It says, verse 16, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become flesh. He says, one of the great joys of, of marriage is sexual intimacy, and there is a uniqueness in that bond that seals the deal. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. And he says, flee from sexual immorality. Just run away from it. He says this, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Within you whom you have received from the Lord, you are not your own, you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Don't waste it. Don't, don't, don't waste it. People say to me frequently, now, we're going to be very surprised by who we see in heaven. And my response, if I know them fairly well, is, no, we're not. I'm really not going to be surprised. Because only people who trust in Christ will be in heaven. That's it. Everyone else will be in judgment. That's what the Bible teaches. This week, we lost a great man, Nelson Mandela. In 1948... Another great worldwide citizen was, well, he died. He was assassinated, Mahatma Gandhi. I have a great regard for Gandhi. I've studied his life. I've read numerous books on his life. I did a paper on him in seminary. Gandhi said the Sermon on the Mountain is the most incredible thing I've ever read. But he never trusted Christ as his Savior. So he trusted Christ as his example. That didn't get you to heaven. See, we won't see Gandhi in heaven, according to the Bible. He's a great man. Let me tell you what we're going to be surprised at. We're going to be surprised at those who receive incredible rewards in heaven. A lot of the people that we esteem now and we think are really hot stuff, they'll make it as if through the flames. I think about people that I know, even in this community of faith. I thought about a dear woman who I see all the time. And if I, had, if I lived where she lives in her shoes, I would crawl up in a fetal ball underneath a bed and die. But every day she gets up. Every day she trusts Christ. Every day she goes forward. Every day she does what she does with a smile on her face. Big reward. Steward of God's gifts to her. Hey, just, just think about it people in your own life. You probably need to contact them if they're still alive and say, thank you for living it out. Thank you. Number four, 
Point of force. How, how are you using your present day giftedness? Do you see the, the, the incredible, joyful responsibility? What are you doing in light of the cross? This woman, this is a drawing of her. Well, I missed a couple of things here. This woman lived in, let's say, 16, I mean, 650, just six, so there's no you know, average canvas to draw. Her name is Bethilda, married to Clovis. You know, names come in cycles. After you hear this story, I'm, I'm expecting to have some young women in our church named Bethilda, okay? Maybe, and Clovis as a guy, anyway. Bethilda was a, a young woman from a very fine home who was kidnapped and taken into slavery. And she goes to this Germanic kingdom, and Bethilda is a slave, and she becomes a slave in the household of the king, and she lives with diligence as under the Lord. She was a believer. She lived with a sense of calling and purpose. She was very bright, and she was very beautiful. And so the prince started looking at sweet Bethilda, and he asked Bethilda, to date him or whatever, and they became married, which is very unusual, but he married her. They're both committed Christians, Clovis and Bethilda, and they eradicated slavery in that part of Germany in 650. 650. Clovis dies. She was the queen. She was the queen until her son could become aged to become the king, and she was a woman of incredible influence. And I thought, you know, she eradicated slavery because she was living as under the Lord. What am I doing in light of the cross? Or this lady. This photograph was taken just a couple months ago. Mavis Beatty. Mavis from England. Mavis, she died about two months ago. Uh, Mavis Bailey was a, a young woman in World War II. She took an entrance test to work for the government when Great Britain started fighting against uh, Nazi Germany. And she scored incredibly high on math and logic comprehension. And so the British government took several women called the Betchley Circle and, and made them code breakers. They couldn't tell their husbands, family, what they were doing. As far as their husbands knew, they were going in and transcribing notes. But what they were really doing, they were sitting in this room and they were feverishly working on breaking the codes that the Italians and the Nazis were sending each other. And so Mavis was doing that. That's what she was doing. Her husband thought she was going every day and just typing away for nothing. And she was breaking codes. In fact, the, the Italian Navy was going to do a surprise attack on the Royal Navy. Mavis Bately broke that code four days before it happened, told the Royal Navy. The Royal Navy repositioned their ships, and they did a surprise attack on the Italians and destroyed the Italian fleet. Mavis Bately. There's a little thing that happened in 1944 called D-Day happened at Normandy. And we wanted Hitler to think that we were going somewhere else, so they were send, the Allies were sending secret messages that were being decoded saying that we were going to land at Calais, 200 miles north of Normandy. We didn't know if Hitler took the bait. Mavis Bately broke the code whereby she knew the Nazis had taken the bait, and Hitler transferred two key divisions all the way up to Calais, which made Normandy more accessible to our troops, even though we knew many, many would die. She couldn't tell anybody until the seals were broken several decades later. And it came out 
that she had done that. Can you imagine sitting around the table? You have adult children. You pick up the papers. Mavis Bailey, code breaker. Mom, pass the eggs. What did you do in World War II? <laughs> and and the, 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 the British government wanted to honor her. And she says, no, don't honor me. She said, the men you should honor were the guys who died at Normandy. And I just thought, here's, here's a woman who's just faithful to the Lord. Faithful to her calling. That's what she did. And I just said, God, God, make me faithful to my calling. Make me faithful as a husband and a father and a pastor, brother, son. Make me faithful. Because I will stand before you, not for salvation, but I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to escape as if through the flames. And so, let me just give you some applications, some benchmarks. I, see, I, I'm... I need some benchmarks. Let me just give you three broad areas and go to a couple of things. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, three different areas. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He says, when you give to the needy, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't, don't stand on the street corners and announce it with trumpets to be praised by others. But when you give, do it secretly so that your giving, which is done in secret, may be rewarded by your Father who sees you. We're to be givers. Now, let me, let me just say this. I believe in tithing. I believe that tithing is a biblical norm. I believe we should give 10%. Some people say, no, I believe in grace giving. Let me tell you the problem. Grace giving means, well, I think I give as God teaches me. The problem with grace giving is that a lot of times I, grace givers never give very much. <laughs> I'm a concrete thinker. So you need to say, you know, when you, when you play, that's why I like sports. You, you run this route, you turn there, and the ball will be waiting on you. It's not kind of free float and wave your hand if you think you're open. So I, I think I just 10% is pretty easy. I think the Bible teaches it. I want to be honoring unto the Lord. And in the way I, I, I give, you can sacrificial, go beyond that. Absolutely. It's like Lottie Moon. We, everyone here, every worshiper needs to give to Lottie Moon. If you're a college student and you have your money, take a jar, take your Starbucks money for two months and put it in that jar. Don't go to Starbucks. I mean, if you're a Starbucks owner, I'm not down on Starbucks. But I mean, just... Just, just say you spend $6 a week at Starbucks. That's not a lot, is it? You coffee drinkers? I'm not a coffee drinker. I love my body. Is that? <laughs> I drink tea instead. I mean, six, six, that's, is that Starbucks? Who, who drinks Starbucks? Raise your hand. No, no be ashamed. Okay. Is $6 much a week? Not really. Okay. I mean, it's just a college student. You're a college student, aren't you? High school? College? High, are you a college student? No, you're not. Okay. All right, anyway. So, I mean, so for two, we, we, we go through January for, for six weeks. Six bucks a week times six times six is what? Quick. Mark, come on. Good. 36. Good. Ohio State grad here. I knew you'd get it. Okay. Uh, see, my desire would be that every worshiper gives at least 200 bucks. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth, man. 
See, if we really believed in tithing, our budget would be three times what it is. See, I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to give an answer the way I spent my life. And then he says, praying. He says, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You just seek God. Just seek God. Just go hard for God, he says. And he gives us the Lord's prayer. And he says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They love to disfigure their faces. And so their fasting may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head with oil. And wash your face, and your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, this, the pattern will reward you. See, if fasting involves going without food or other things so that you can say yes to the important things. I, mean, I was just thinking about this, this, this theme of, of going without to say yes to the important things. And I, I thought about the serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr that it's just a beautiful prayer. God, uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. If you read the whole prayer, it's, it's not that's beautiful, but the whole prayer is even, it's beautiful. The serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can. God, let me be courageous. Let me, let me live as unto you. When I thought about just living courageously. I thought, you know, this is kind of a, get rid of clutter in, in your life and your thinking. See, in Hebrews 12, going back to the passage I quoted earlier, Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside everything that hinders and the sin. See, the, the hindrance is not sin. It's just hindrance. It's just stuff. And I said, Lord, let let me do that. And and part part of that is saying no to non-essentials. Continuously. I mean, say your kingdom come or bring your kingdom in my life. I I was read this quick book, this quick read, and the guy made a statement. It's a good statement. He said, he said that the quality of a man or a woman's life will depend upon what they read and who they spend time with. I went, yeah, that works. The quality of our life, what we read and who we spend time with. And then as I was writing this stuff down, I just started journaling. I said, you know, techies beware. Techies beware. I was... Um, we're surrounded by technological, it's a, it's a gift, but it just takes us away from thinking. I was at a restaurant the other night. I took my family out to eat for my wife's birthday. And we were sitting there waiting on some people to arrive, and we were in the cramped restaurant, and there was a table right there in the corner. I mean, I could almost touch them right there. A young man, a young woman, probably 25 years old. And they came in, I was kind of looking around, and their food got there, and he, he leaned over and he grabbed her hand, and he started praying. And it's not one of these prayers, God thanks the food, amen. It was, it was a, I mean, it went on for about, I didn't time him, but I bet 20, 30 seconds. He prayed. 
the whole time he was praying, the gal was sending um, IMs or text. I was going, I was going, really? I mean, the whole time. And I started to say, excuse me. <laughs> I wanted to grab her hand and see if there was a ring on it that signified marriage. And if there wasn't, I was going to say, run. <laughs> there are others out there. And I thought about this little statement. This is the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's so good. It's letters from a senior demon to a junior demon. So it's the devil writing or one of his minions. Now, I'm going to get to this, but I'm just going to read this part. It's about dating. He says, this guy's just become a Christian. They're trying to woo him away from the Lord. And so this senior demon says, I looked up this girl's dossier, and I'm horrified at what I find. Not only is she a Christian, but she's such a Christian that I hate. A vile, sneaking, simpering, demure, monosyllabic, mouse-like, watery, insignificant, virginal, bread-and-butter miss, the little brute. She makes me vomit. She stinks and scalds through the very pages of this dossier. It drives me mad the way the world has worsened. We'd have had her in the arena in the old days. That's where her sort is made to go. Not that she'd do much good there either, little two-faced cheat. I know that sort who looks as if she'd faint at the sight of blood and then dies with a smile on her face. A cheat in every way. Looks as if butter would melt in her mouth and yet has a satirical wit. The sort of creature who'd find me funny. And he says this. Then, of course, he gets to know the woman's family and the whole circle. Could you not see that the very house she lives in is one that ought never to be entered? The whole place reeks of the deadly odor of our enemy, the Lord. The very gardener, though he has been there only five years, is beginning to acquire it. Even guests, after we can visit, carry some of the smell away with them. The dog and the cat are tainted with it. And the house is full of the impenetrable mystery of God. But then he says this. Music and silence. How I detest them both. How thankful we should be that ever since our father, the devil, entered hell... No square inch of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces. But all has been occupied by noise, noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant and ruthless and viral. Noise which alone defends us from silly qualms and despairing scruples and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We have already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth. Now, Lewis wrote that about 1943. What would he say today? It's amazing. Seek the Lord. Listen, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You will give an account of the way you've lived your life, child of God, not for salvation, but for reward. Let's pray. Lord, during this Christmas season, we want to stop in the midst of joy and celebration, and we want to affirm the reality of Christ. 
the central focus of all history. Lord, I just pray you'd help me not to uh, sing lightly, joy to the world, the Lord has come. The, The incredible thought that God became a man. The eternal God who has no beginning and who has no end became a man, which is blasphemy to Muslims and which is a point of quizzical nonsense to Buddhists and Hindus. But to us, it is the wisdom of God. It is the power of God. Because we see through that intervention the culmination of the glory of the cross. So God, we praise you. I pray that we would live as responsible men and women before you. Um, Please, Lord. Please, let us do that. I, I thank you that Uh, as the body wastes away and as the years slip by we know that the inner man is being renewed and we know that history is not a random unfolding of nothingness but history is a symphony of God's glorious purposes in our lives and in those around us and one day we will give an answer for the way we've lived I pray we build upon the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, and costly stones. I pray that if maybe we've been using wood, hay, and straw for years, that we'd say today, on this Lord's Day, this December 2013, gold, silver, costly stones. Gold, silver, costly stones. In Jesus' name, amen.